Well, there's Advent and there's Lent. These two seasons have a lot in common. They're penitential seasons. They're both purple. They both uh, call for repentance. They, they start two key cycles of the church calendar year. But there's also a few significant differences between Advent and Lent. One of the main differences between these two seasons is that for Lent, there's nothing much on the horizon that fosters within us a sense of joy. That's because Lent begins with dust and ashes, and it ends with a most unexpected tragedy, the death of our Savior. Take up your cross and follow me is the invitation Jesus gives during Lent, and that's exactly where he takes us, death. Remember how the disciples misunderstand the nature of this invitation time and again. Surely this is just an expression. Surely he only means that we must be willing to fight to the death so that God's kingdom will be reestablished and our Roman overlords thrown out. But the closer they get to Jerusalem, the prospect for this kind of hope and the joy that it will bring just evaporates into thin air at the foot of the cross. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, the two walking on the road to Emmaus say. But now our hope is gone. Now, of course, the joy of Easter does come three days later. We know that. But it takes us by surprise. No one was expecting resurrection. That wasn't on their horizon. As far as the early disciples knew, death was the final word. That's the feel of Lent. But Advent is a bit different than that. It's a different story. And so, yes, with Lent, it's a season for fasting. It's it's a season for repenting from sin. But it's also the season when we get to light the pink candle and strike a note of joy. Don't get me wrong. We still lament during this time. We lament our lonely exile here, as we just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But then we're given the opportunity to transition from a minor to a major key and belt out the chorus, Rejoice! Rejoice! For Emmanuel shall come. You see, there's joy on the horizon in Advent. With Advent, accompanying our pain is this deep sense of joyful expectation. We know too well that long lay the world in sin and error pining. We all know that. But we also know that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And so, yes, our weary world can sit up and rejoice. That's the dominant mood for our readings this morning. That joy can be had right in the middle of this season of sorrow. In fact, we heard one of these invitations spoke by uh, the prophet Zephaniah when he, he, he gives that great passage that we love to quote when he says, Sing aloud and shout, O Israel. Rejoice with all your heart. For the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The Lord is here in your midst. He will renew you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. Man, beautiful, powerful words we love to turn to for reminders of God's goodness and love. And yet we forget this. That Zephaniah spoke these words to an Israel in rebellion. As as they were in the waning years leading up to Israel's exile and destruction by their Babylonian invaders, 
These were dark days, to say the least, at the time of Zephaniah. In fact, if you read the rest of Zephaniah, it's not pretty at all. The book of Zephaniah begins with utter darkness. It's kind of a, an anti-creation account, an undoing of Genesis 1, describing the realities of the day. I'll just, just give you a little short excerpt of this lovely passage. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air. I will sweep away the fish of the sea. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth. And if you were to keep reading, it doesn't get any better. The day of the Lord is near, Zephaniah says. Destruction, it's on its way. These are dark times. And yet, even in all of this darkness, there's still a light of hope on the horizon. For God gets to speak the final words of Zephaniah with that passage that we love so much. And the last words he says is this, I will bring you home and I will restore your fortunes. And so, yes, even then, we can, they can still rejoice. This invitation to rejoice, you know, to believe that God will one day bring healing and restoration, that must have seemed ludicrous to those who are being carried away in chains to live in Babylonia. Just as the invitation to rejoice today, to believe that one day God will make all things new, that might seem a bit ludicrous when you watch the news and and look out in your own world, see how dark it is. But that's the dynamic, you see, of Advent. Hope in the midst of pain. Lighting the joy candle in the midst of our suffering. It's a dynamic with which the Apostle Paul was quite familiar Suffering and hope, holding those two together. You know, there was this one time when Paul felt the need to rattle through his resume and highlight his credentials as a minister of the crucified Christ. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, Paul writes. That's how he begins. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times shipwrecked. On frequent journeys, I endured many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, he says, and with many imprisonments. See, Paul, like ourselves, was living through the dark days of Advent. And at even one of those times from his prison cell, he writes those famous words we heard read a moment ago from the book of Philippians. A letter, by the way, that is known for its theme of joy. Rejoice, Paul writes from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How could Paul have such a joyful attitude, as familiar as he was with with pain and suffering? Well, because, Paul goes on to say, the Lord is near. There's something on the horizon, right? There's hope on the horizon so we can rejoice in the Lord. Theologian Karl Barth describes the biblical understanding of joy as a defiant nonetheless. That is to say, even as we honestly face all the pain and suffering that this world gives us, nonetheless, We shall rejoice. How can we do that? (laughs) What should we do to live a defiant nonetheless, to rejoice in this season of sorrow? 
Well, that question leads us to a very strange place, to our gospel passage for this morning, a passage that continues the story from last week, the story of John the Baptist. If you think about it, joy is not the first word that pops into your head when you think of John the Baptist. Maybe abrasive, bizarre, disturbing, not joy. I've never seen a picture of John the Baptist on any advent calendar. And yet, right, he is the foremost figure of Advent. He's so prominent this time of year that even today, the joy Sunday, as we remind ourselves of the joy that can be had in this season, oh my goodness, here he comes, barging into our party, ruining all the fun. You brood of vipers, he yells. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? My goodness. Where's the joy in that opening line? Why include this story on a day when we're inviting everyone to rejoice? It would be much easier for us to, you know, push John off to the side on a day like this. To focus solely on our passages from Zephaniah and from Philippians. But then, if we did that, we would be the poor for it. For then, we'd miss a key insight on this Sunday Advent of joy. we would miss the answer to our question for the day. That in the midst of so much pain and so much suffering in our world, confusion, how can we nonetheless rejoice in the Lord? What should we do to live a defiant nonetheless? Well, it's John the Baptist who reminds us that there are practical ways to do this. Practical ways to make ready a way for the joy of the Lord. Perhaps you noticed that three times the same question is put to John as he's going about preaching repentance. Three times the same question is asked. What then should we do? And I want you to notice just how practical John's answer is to this question. First, to the crowds. He says, well, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who doesn't have a coat. And whoever has food must do likewise. Boy, that is incredibly practical. (laughs) Share your stuff with others, John says. In preparation for the coming of our Lord, in preparation for the arrival of God's kingdom, you must be a community that shares with one another. That's a pathway to joy in the midst of Advent. That's something we need to hear, isn't it? A defiant nonetheless can be lived when we refuse to embrace the consumerism that this season offers us. When we care more about giving to those in need than just getting what we want. That's when joy bubbles up. That's, that's very basic stuff, isn't it? Makes me think about the description of the early church that we like to go back to from time to time in Acts chapter 2. Recall in that description how all who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions, distributing the proceeds to those who had need. And then it goes on to say, what was the result of that kind of generosity? Gladness. It says they were full of glad hearts, and they had good the goodwill of the people this is a defiant nonetheless right and then secondly the question is put 
to John by some tax collectors. They ask the same question, what should we do? John answers them and says, well, collect no more than the amount prescribed. I mean, how straightforward is that? Do your job with integrity. Stop cheating. Don't put yourself and your own interests ahead of others. This is how you can live your life with a defiant nonetheless. And then some soldiers come along, even Roman soldiers, who ask John the same question. What should we do? And again, God, uh, John hands out the practical stuff. Well, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And then he goes on to say, and be satisfied with your wages. I mean, this is not rocket science, is it? Don't use your power to take advantage of others. Don't sit there and stew and worry about how you have to make some more money before you can be happy and secure. As Paul later says in the same chapter of Philippians, he says, learn to be content with whatever you have in plenty or in want. Why? Because there's something on the horizon. The Lord is near. And so we can live a defiant nonetheless. Really, if you think about it, that's the theme of Paul's entire letter to the Philippians, isn't it? It's about living a defiant nonetheless, living a life in joy in the midst of a dark world. That, that's, the, that's the vibe that you get as you roll through this letter. If you were to back up and look at this letter from its entirety, you find all sorts of practical advice about loving others in a dark, dark world. Advice that flows in a similar vein as John the Baptist. Never thought about it that way, but it does. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul says in chapter 1. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. That's chapter 2. And then he, look how practical this is. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of Advent. Of course, he doesn't say Advent. He says in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's Advent, right? Notice that even in the verses immediately preceding and following his famous invitation to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. What is Paul doing? He's giving practical instructions. First, he urges two women to put aside their differences, to reconcile, work together for the good of the gospel. That's right when he says rejoice. And then after that, he goes on to say, well, be gentle to those around you. Do not worry about anything, but present your worries to God in prayer. 101 type stuff. You see, there is a defiant nonetheless to be had for those who do the practical work of Jesus. The practical work of loving your neighbor as yourself. Putting others first. Sharing with others what you have. Being content with what you have. We can live this way because it is Advent, right? Because we know that surely the Lord is coming soon. He is near. And so we can rejoice in the midst of our sorrow. And so the question that I have for you this morning is simply this. What practical advice for loving others is God whispering in your ear right now? Perhaps he's even shouting it to you right now through the voice of another. Maybe you have a John the Baptist in your life. But you don't have to overthink this, 
right? This is practical advice. How might you practically give of your time, of your possessions, of your money for the good of others, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers? What are some practical things that only you can do? And I promise you, joy bubbles up. That is a defiant nonetheless. Sometimes getting back to the basics of just loving your neighbor opens up brand new avenues of joy in your life. And so, yes, we make our Advent cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. But in the meantime, we rejoice. We order our lives according to our Lord Jesus Christ because we know that he shall come again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you that in these dark days, There is joy on the horizon that a new day is coming when Christ shall return and make all things new. And we get a foretaste of that even as we love each other, love our neighbors as ourselves, that we get to be that candle in a dark world, that candle of joy. So fill us with your spirit so that we might live a defiant nonetheless for the life of the world. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.